I can't do this alone Even though I am strong Need something more than me Someone to push me to victory Let's see what we can do Together, me and you Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Q&A Quest uh, And we are back to further bash partners in time I'm your host, Q&A Mike Quest, When it rains, it pours <laughs> I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... David McBurney, Fanboy Master, whatever. And returning guest... To Gaiji Monogatari, over here in Japan. And Still our most prolific guest, I think. And I must note that out. about a year ago, you were on the show during the World Series, Game 7, and it went extra innings, and now you're on during World 2, or Game 2 of the World Series, which has also gone to extra innings. Wait, is there an Earth 2 World Series we can be watching? Uh, probably yeah, not. The Superboy hits it into the stratosphere. That sounds way more exciting. See, I was thinking of the sci-fi show Earth 2. Which is a Gross. great show. What? Yes, it does. It does. <laughs> but no, it's great, because we've got Earth 2 Metal Max to discuss. <laughs> Oh, yeah, why don't we start with that? We're going to get to that one soon. Yeah. Uh. So, first, you know, I've never actually, pl- I mean, I've played Super Mario RPG and Paper Mario, but I never played any of the other games after those two. What am uh, I missing? Well, did you enjoy Paper Mario? Yes, I did, and I actually one of my favorite memories of that is the doppelgangers in the last level when they copied your, your little Goomba friend and they started doing analysis on you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's you, Mario, hero guy. You're off to save the princess. <laughs> yeah, so the direct sequel to that uh, Thousand Year Kingdom... It's basically that, but more so. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And it's really good. Uh, there's probably arguments on which is better, but generally... I believe we actually had one, but yeah. yeah. Well, I think the, yeah. well, I was going to say, I think the general consensus is that both are very good. So no one's really going to... I haven't really heard anyone call Thousand Year Door bad, is what I'm saying. In general. Yeah. And generally, anyone that likes the first one likes the second. It's just a question of which they like better. Most of the quote-unquote arguments I've seen have been mostly been about... Uh, which one should I like more? And I'm yeah. like, why is this even a problem? Why is this it's important. Problem? It's not a problem. You must, you must battle for my side, or I will destroy you. <laughs> like, you guys realize how lucky you are to actually be able to argue over something as pitiful as which of these awesome games is even more awesome than the mm-hmm. other awesome game. It's, it's true. On the other hand, you can't kill the last Wacka in captivity in Thousand Year Door. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what that even means, and I don't care. All I care is that for some reason, this is one of those ser- one of the rare series where all of the titles are so much cooler in English than they are in Japanese. Yeah, you love Mario Story. <laughs> Mario and Luigi RPG. Mario and Luigi RPG 2. Mario and Luigi RPG 3. <gasps> I'm sensing a pattern. Yes. I'm curious what they called the most recent one, given that it's ju- like in Amer- North America they just added another subtitle. Yeah, uh, I've not been keeping track, to be honest. Yeah. Because in North America they were just like, 
Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga and Bowser's Minions. It's just like, that's a little awkward. I saw a picture of the box art and it looked like it was just Mario and Luigi RPG 1 and... I think it's Mario and Luigi RPG 1 plus and then with extra little game. (laughs) (laughs) Because the Goomba thing is like a completely different game mode as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be like if you're just playing Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, you're just gonna play that. Like it's not gonna intrude upon your normal yeah. game. Yeah, it just happens to be a bonus game that happens to take place during the events of the first of the other one. Yeah. So it's kind of like the uh, the Etna story mode in the Disgaea DS game. Oh man, that was great. They just sort of like made a mode. What if Laharl just was sort of still asleep? I think I think the way one uh, given everything that Etna did to wake Laharl up at the very beginning of the game, what if he, what ha- would happen if he didn't survive? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she a lot a- of axes strewn around that area. She she actually kills him in that yes. in that scene. <laughs> wow, really? I mean, yeah. In the very scene when he looks back at his coffin and he sees the giant battle axe and the morning star and I think a chainsaw or something else sticking out of the coffin, and she makes mm-hmm. some comment about how how much of a trouble it is to wake him up. Yeah. It's very easy to imagine her just going a little too far. Yeah. Yeah. Farther too far. Yeah. Much, much too far. Yes, and I... You know, I never actually finished that game because I just could not finish anything from Nipponichi on the PlayStation 2. <laughs> wow. Uh, I did not have that much time to sit in front of a television set. That's fair. Yeah, and I, that is very fair. Which is why I am not investing in any console ga- um, gaming systems for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I need to finish Disgaea 5 complete. No, you don't. <laughs> You've got it sitting around. It's pretty good. It's, I mean, why not? Uh, why not? Get a, because it's so portable... But at the same time, Katakawa Games just made such a wonderful argument for me getting a second-hand PS Vita. Mm-hmm. Which game was that? Katakawa Games? Yeah, uh, no, I'm saying which game. Oh, oh. Yeah. Metal Max, the new one. Yeah. Metal Max Xeno. Yes. What a strange-looking product. You haven't been paying much attention in the series, have you? <laughs> no, not in a while. I mean, one of my, I mean, I have tried to describe it many times, and what was a good one? Um, what would happen if the development staff of Final Fantasy VI decided to remake Fallout, and they got the art department from Parodius in on the job? Yeah, no, I'm more confused as to why, like, what little I've seen of Zeno looks much more self-serious, which is what made it strange to me. I know, I mean, they're all post-apocalyptic, so... Um, yeah, I guess it's just the art style seems a little more... But maybe it's just that I haven't been looking at it much. I mean, all we have to go for go with is this first video, and it was originally a teaser video where they didn't, didn't even mention the name of the game. Yeah, I remember them just showing it and saying that it was a was the true end-of-century RPG. <laughs> Which sounds like Wait. it must be... Like a very stiff translation because I see that a lot when I that, see Fist of the North Star. <laughs> that is a massive. I mean, that is a very, 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 like symbol by symbol attempt to translate that. Yeah, it reminds me of every time I see Fist of the North Star as Legend of the True End of Century Savior or whatever. 
I mean, I think Fandis, I think Fanda Siecle would be a better translation for what they wrote, but we don't speak French mm. on the site. Uh, so, Tragic. Uh, a tur- how about the turn of a new century? Mmm. Um, but yeah, if you if you play the DS games, you do end up with random acts of murdering people. Yeah. And as uh, apocalypse go. Yep, and the uh, the DS remake of Metal Max Two and Metal Max Four both include um, little mini um, side missions where at least one of them turns out to be human trafficking. Wow! <laughs> so if you open if you open the package before you get to the delivery spot, you realize that there's a young girl in there. If you wow. don't open it up and just give it to the people with no questions asked, you eventually find her body in another town. Oh! Wow! That's dark. Yes. Do we have many questions why Nintendo never okayed Metal Max 2 for American release? It's making a lot of sense. <laughs> I feel yes. like if, if someone had really wanted to push for it, they probably could have gotten it, but they would have had to, like, really want to want it. <laughs> well, I mean, the original games for Super Famicom included, like, outright... I mean, you could buy rounds... Yeah, the Famicom versions were never happening, but I mean yeah. the DS ones, I think. Well, the DS ones, you had the issues with Metal Saga tanking and then success owning part of the IP for the American audience. Oh. Yeah. I could see this one coming just because it's a PS4 game, but... Yeah. And PS Vita. Yeah, but we won't get the Vita version. Like, that's pretty much, like, dead in the ground. Um, I wouldn't say that, man. We've been getting Vita games pretty steadily. I mean, maybe like we've maybe digitally only. I, I've started to see Vita versions like drop off. Like, what I'm thinking of is something like some of the recent ones. I think it was like I saw someone talking about like Blue Reflection or whatever. It's like a magical girl RPG, but like we got a Steam version in lieu of a Vita version. Well, I think the Vita versions of those Gus games have dipped uh, in quality by a large yeah. degree. That's, that's probably that's, also true. I've been hearing Koei Tecmo's not been very good with its Vita ports. Yeah, so I... It's not, very, not been very good with its Steam ports either, I can tell you that much. Um, <laughs> but that's it's... It. We can argue about the actual quality level of Atelier Sophie a different day. Yeah, so. but yeah. The, the only thing I was going to say was if this game comes out in like mid-late 2018, I'm not sure how viable a Vita uh, release here is. Well, I mean, the... I mean, the, the smaller-time publishers don't seem to have any intentions of stopping. Yeah. I suppose. And obvi- I mean, obviously this would be from one of them. Yeah, I mean, look how... look. I mean, Katakawa is not a small-time publisher, but... It, not in know, Japan, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look how long the PlayStation Portable lasted simply on the visual novel genre. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Gonna Just, sit down and play some Sweet Views? Just that genre by itself extended that um, the portable's lifespan by like two years. We'll get it when we'll get it from Gaijin Works. Oh, p- please no, no. I I would I would want a timely release of this. Listen, Jesus. Victor Ireland Jesus. has a Victor Ireland has a has a tradition to fulfill. Yeah, but Katakawa Games has already um, wor- know, worked with other publishers. They have other relationships established. Which of the which of those uh, who published that one that you were obsessed with for like a year? Uh, Natural Doctrine. Yeah, that was NIS, and that okay. game probably NIS sold. seems like a company that might take a shot on this. 
Yeah, they just did uh, God Wars also by them. I mean, Atlas yeah. did Metal Saga's original English translation. Yeah, I can't see Atlas taking another shot at this, but who knows? I feel like they do less. I feel like Atlas USA does less publishing other companies' work nowadays. Not yeah. entirely none, but much less. Well, they 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 picked up they picked up the important one at least. That being Alliance Alive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we're gonna get it. It's gonna be great. It's apparently significantly less saga-y, but I'll accept that because it apparently is still very good. I know um, it is still quite saga-y, but it's also like I mean, I've said this before again, but it, imagine a Final Fantasy game where Final Fantasy II was the direction that the series went in mm. instead of Final sold. Yes. Um. So yeah, you can say it is the most Final Fantasy of saga games since Final Fantasy Legend Three, but it's still so much better than that. More, more on the saga side than that. <laughs> far more, on, uh, far more on the saga side than the game, original Game Boy game. Yes. Yeah. If you two will excuse me, I have to step out for a moment. I will be back. Sure. They say go slow, and everything just stands so still. We Alright, so why don't we jump into our first question or comment? So we have a few, despite us <laughs> recording this a day after I posted the, the last one. So our first what a response. our first one is from Budai, who says, In my opinion, a new Mario RPG akin to the first one would actually be more novel and open to new stuff than doing the Paper and Saga ones again. That's part of why I want one, because there are many different things could, that could be done with a fresh take. I feel like Paper has sufficiently shown itself to be married to no actual gameplay concept. That It's really more just a question of what aesthetic they use. Yeah. It's I think they very much want the RPGs to not look like the platformers. But. I mean, uh, maybe we misunderstood him on an initial question from last week, because it kind of sounds like from this that he didn't necessarily want like a direct sequel to Mario RPG with the same characters, but more of just like a new Mario RPG that wasn't the old series. I fully suspect that Paper Mario will soon molt into another gameplay style. <laughs> could see that. I was about to say, hey, how about Paper tactile, Tactical Mario, but we already kind of got that, so... Yeah, we just got Tactical Mario. <laughs> Curious, did that uh, local get released in Japan at the same time as the U.S.? Which one? Rabbit? Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Bell. Yeah. yeah Nintendo's been doing a lot better on the simultaneous release stuff. Yeah, it was one of those things where I looked at it and I was like, this is one of those things where given who actually made it, I wasn't sure how quickly it would show up in each region. Yeah. I'm not seeing any discrepancy. But it's it's Mario. Yeah. It's still Mario. Yeah. And it's not Hotel Mario, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
<sighs> Alright, um, let's see what else Budai has to say. Do you think there are any big RPG or non-RPG series that are on the verge of dying or on shaky ground? Some series can withstand a few bad titles and keep on, and then others cannot. Which are some that can withstand regardless of quality? The ones Metal. that keep selling. Metal Max. <laughs> uh, Metal so Max survived the PS2 period. Enough said. So did Saga, for that matter. Mm, yeah. <laughs> So I guess yep. one of those things that kept happening because, like, any time Kawazu wants to make a game, it's appropriate that it be a Saga game. Yeah. And I was talking to Paws um, online a few days back and talking about how or why she gave Saga Frontier 2 such a low review score. It turns out she couldn't beat the final um, strategy battle map and um, correspondence with the Square Enix uh, PR department led her to believe that she would not be able to progress in the game and get to the final boss without beating the Battle of South Mountaintop. Mm. Mm. Remember that Battle Wheels? No. That is effectively the Waterloo of all strategy RPG battles. Ooh. You don't uh, get to win that. Um, the only way to win is to be um, to follow a very, very precise movement plan and pray. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the thing Love is, thematic thematically, the um, the hero, quote unquote, hero of that particular scenario, is a possessed young man who is being directed by an eldritch abomination to impersonate the heir to an empire and lead it to war. Oh, we lovely. don't want him. We don't want him to win. <laughs> it's and fine. In fact, on the opposite, or on the other side of the par of the uh, parallel concurrent plot lines for that game, the actual heir to that king is carrying his both of his ancestral blades to take out the Eldritch Abomination. Huh. So, typical heir to the throne stuff. Yeah. Oh, he's not even the main character. He's he's kind of revealed to be this later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, and it's also that's a bit like, of a tragic uh, situation, yeah. misled by the PR department. I think the PR department just didn't really know either, and they blamed it on a bug that made the <laughs> battle unwinnable. So. It was all an accident. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, at least she wasn't reviewing Unlimited Saga. That oh, was my next comment, yes. <laughs> But she also missed out on the wonderful, wonderful experience that was the actual final boss of Saga Frontier 2. Yeah. You just sit down and play that right now. Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, I was always tempted to go back and try to beat the thing without d taking out any of the elemental bosses beforehand, so it had all eight or ten different forms and almost 200,000 hit points. Just so I could see that, uh, I mean, um, every single strategy review you read for this thing says, take out the wood elemental boss because its uh, main attack will kill everything. <laughs> but I was always kind of curious because the, the actual name of this attack is an Ursula K. Le Guin reference. <laughs> what did they give it? The, what name did it get? Um, the word for world. 
There was an Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin novel called The Word for World is Forest. Wow. <laughs> and that is the, that is the hit everything on screen, massive damage, um, wood elemental attack. Wow. Yeah. The other suggested boss to take out was the stone boss just because it had a petrify attack and that was almost impossible to recover from. Nothing good comes from petrification in RPGs. No. In conclusion, we demand an English release of Saga Scarlet Grace. Yes, please. Yes. Yes. I, I have decided that I am going to have to get a, a Vita sometime in 2018, hopefully at a reduced price, because I think I can get them for under one man now, so about nice. maybe 95 to $100. So. I was able to get a used one under 100 on eBay. It's kind of good. They're probably cheaper in the U.S. than in Japan. Just because more stuff seems to actually get released for them in Japan, or at least more is publicized about being released in Japan. Yeah, but more units were also sold in Japan, so the overall... Oh, so there might be more used floating yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more concerned with finding any other decent games. I mean, I've got Scarlet Grace and Metal Max Xeno on the, the list, and I'm not sure what else to get. Uh... Except to download Romancing Saga 2 for the PS Vita version. Finally, with controls. Yeah. Well, there are lots. Yeah. There are lots of other good Vita games. Well, okay then. Inform me. Uh. Well. There's East. Shelf goes over to his shelf. I could do that, but there's East. There is Persona Five. Persona Four, rather. Uh. <laughs> Slight difference. God Eater. Uh, if you care about Brain them, no worky. Gaia's 3 and 4. Legend, uh, basically Legend. like a release of all of the lower budget RPGs of the last ten, like yeah, 5 years. Le Legend of Heroes. Oh yeah, Cold Steel's 1 and 2, but not 3, Rip. Uh, I think what else? Uh... I don't know. My brain is not working. Hold on, please. Hold. Hold, please. I'm going to sit here and vaguely evangelize Super Robot Wars for a minute just because. <laughs> yeah, I, I managed to get through um, the Lord of Elemental. I'm not really oh, in man. <laughs> the <right>. bad one. <laughs> but, yeah. The one that would have done so much better if I had just. Alright. Hmm? Would have done so much better if it had just what? Stopped at the point when the city got nuked. Yeah. Because that's the actual point where the villain flees to the other... other um, what's the right word here? The flip side the of the world, which is our Earth, and how they yeah, end up... Yeah, the rest of the original stuff. generation games happen, and then... Because, I mean, I'm, I'm serious here. There, there was one chapter of Lord of Elemental that was nothing but a very hurried recap of three and a half games worth of story. Yeah, that's going to be basically the most confusing thing in the, like imaginable when you hit that with, point. With automated battles. Oh, it's, heavens. That like, sounds like the dullest thing in the world. Yes. All right. And 
It's and even then it does not bother to explain what happened to several of the major characters. By these games. And most of the minor characters. Yeah. Uh, Alright, I have some games. I'll have them. Let's see here. Uh, well, you can buy this on tons of things, but Risk of Rain is actually really nice on Vita. Okay. Got Rayman, True, a lot of indie games. Rayman Legends, Rayman Origins. I said uh, Legend of Heroes, Sheeran the Wanderer. Five. I think that's five, right? Yeah, it's a remake of five. Uh, God Eater. Remade. Okay. Uh, okay. Some games I won't admit to owning. Oh! Some of those we have. Oh, okay. It's just hyperdimension games. Oh, yeah. Well, you wouldn't recommend those that, in the first place. That's what I meant, but yes. Compile Heart. Yep. Uh, Compile Heart. What have you done to the rest of Compile? <laughs> Gravity Rush. Got compiled into the compost. Persona 4, Dancing All Night. <laughs> oh yeah, I think both of the other dancing games are supposed to come to Vita if you end up liking those. Yeah. Soul Sacrifice. Mm. Oh, Conception 2. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, Freedom Wars, Dragon's Crown. Got some Atelier... I'm never going to pronounce that title right, am I? There's like five of those. I was going to say, Atelier, that, um, you pronounced it closer to the real thing than most of the voiceovers in most of the <laughs> games. So. Yeah. Let's see what else I got here. Well, there's Saga Scarlet Graces. Uh, Demon Gaze. Mind Zero. Natural Doctrine. Muramasa, which is by far the best version of that game. Uh, God Wars. Um, Operation Babel, though I haven't actually played that yet. Uh, Shovel Knight is nice on the Vita. Undertale. And oh, yeah. Okay. A lot of indie games, really. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've, I know I already have several of the indie games available for um, Vita already on Steam. Yeah. So... Depends on how much you want that form factor. Yeah. Yeah. Curse of um, yeah, Crypt of the Necrodancer, and with all the yeah. extra skins and stuff. Uh, there's also <laughs> Dragon Quest Builders on Vita, which is a really nice place to play that game. I remember playing it on. Oh, I guess it must have been off of a PlayStation something, PlayStation Four, um, at TGS two years ago. Yeah, I was thinking about looking for Airship Q again since last time I saw it was like five bucks. Nice. Yeah, and I remember enjoying enjoying that one when I played the demo a couple years ago. Uh, but yeah, more of the story. There's lots of Vita RPGs, and what what was Budai's question again? I feel like know. we left it behind like hours ago. Um, oh, it had to do with. Um, well, it was all about the Mario RPG stuff. Oh, and then he was asking about series on Shaky Ground. Yeah, we haven't even touched that really. But yeah. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Metal Max and Saga both were 
on very shaky ground at multiple times, and everyone was surprised when both of them got new games. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, but we didn't catch the flip side of things that we think might actually be on the way out. And there's also a series that we think could withstand a flop, which is probably just things like uh, Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy. Yeah. Stuff yeah. that has, in fact, already withstood flops in the past. But series on the way out, uh, Mass Effect. Good to like know. That's yeah. already dead. Like, we yeah. already know that's in the freezer and dead. Yeah. I'm not so sure about Dragon Age these days. I feel like anything at EA that is not, in fact, intended to be something that you are paying, like, $5 into at least once a month to uh, purchase a uh, lotto ticket is probably on shaky ground. True. Mm-hmm. Let me think over here. Uh, what are the current big series? Thing is, almost anything that has lasted long enough to actually be a series in Japan is unlikely to be dying anytime soon. The I calling mean, has already occurred. Yes, I mean, unless it's a, unless it's a Capcom series, in which case there there's no bets. Um, I mean, Breath of Fire still hasn't really resurged. Yeah, but Breath of Fire didn't. Like it's it's weird to me because I can never gauge how popular Breath of Fire even was to begin with because like yeah. it was gone for a long time. Yeah, um, I mean it's it was really one of the borderline cases there, mm. but I mean, but I mean technically so is Suikoden. Yeah, true, but I don't uh, expect Suikoden te- back either. Technically, <laughs> so was Metal Max, and look where we are. Um, yeah, I mean the Japanese just have this weird tendency to hold on to niche series. I think part of it might also just be that, like, the didn't the rights for Metal Max float around at least once? Which, like, once someone buys the rights, they want to see if they can do something with it. Oh, not not just the rights, but the development studio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, Kreatek went out of business, and they got bought by Success, and Success bought... Um, they managed to hold on to the main rights, and Success just created Metal Saga. Yeah, that game. And the, the PS2 game was actually made mostly by Success... And the DS game was mostly made by Kreatek. <laughs> which explains a lot in the relative strengths and weaknesses of the two. Yeah. And, and are, wait, are you saying success didn't have much success? I want you to go straight to hell. It, it had to be done. I was going to say, it is, it is the most ironic, <laughs> ironic company name in recent history. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else success even did. It, but that's why there are two different iOS games for the series now. One of them with Metal Saga and one of them with Metal Max. I've decided that I can't completely dis- dislike success because they did do the Cotton games. True. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's hard to say why they wouldn't be doing, um, why Kataka wouldn't bring it over to America, except that Metal Saga did flop, that there might be some issues with naming rights vis-a-vis the Metal Saga series and the Mad Max movies. Mm. <laughs> um, and just they are not really able to gauge how popular the series might be. I could see them taking a chance on the new one just because... Yeah, it's, it's, it's supposed to be like almost like a series reboot to begin with, which, granted, so was Metal Max 3. Um, <laughs> but, yeah... I could see it happening, though. 
I mean, Mana, the Mana series seems to be making a comeback too. At least, yeah. Three. There's one. There's one. I'll admit that I didn't actually expect to come back. Yeah, that seems <laughs> pretty two, dead. On two different current generation series, no less, mm. or it's yeah. two different gen- current generation consoles. I mean. Hey, there's another yeah, thing really you can play in the Vita. That, uh, really wish yeah. we could have gotten that nice Switch uh, collection. That looked very good. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, like the the first Mana game on the Switch edition, it's the actual Game Boy game and not the nicer graphics of the of the cell phone remake. And I, I already like have the Game Boy art more though. So I've got the Game Boy Advance copy um, version in my room right now, and I like that one too. So, yeah. yeah, it would it would have been neat if they could have included like both uh, both uh, Final Fantasy Gaiden and Sword, but that may have been an issue with rights held by Brownie Brown or Brownies, I think it's called now. Yeah, that would make sense. Which, um, yeah, Brownies has the new game Eglia, which looks. Almost exactly like Legends of Mana in style. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen people talking about that. Uh, yeah. Some other current. Um, Metabots. Does that still hmm. exist? Well, it's gone through number nine so far. Yes. Happens. Huh. Yeah. I'd never um, guessed. An Imagineer and Rocket Company reorganized about a year or two ago, but they're still putting out goods for it. Interesting. Wow. So they may be working up to another um, iteration. Oh, I mean, they've got the they have the um, the collection coming out. The yeah. original five Game Boy Color games, slightly remastered on one 3DS cartridge. Hmm. Five? Yes, there were five of them. Uh, Metabot, the the reboot in Metabots DS is technically game number six. Heaven. And then after that, we had seven, eight, and nine. Oh, that's chugging so, along, isn't it? Play seven, play DS. D- the DS game is much better. Mm-hmm. So, I am waiting to. I'm. Um, I'm waiting to actually clear out more of my current backlog before I try eight. So. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I had no idea they had gotten that many out. That's nuts. <laughs> I mean, Summon Knights on six games plus... Plus the Swordcraft story ones. And, and two other spinoffs, so that's 11 games. Yeah. Jeez. And I, I really wish you guys had gotten um, Summon Knight X Tears Crown, because that was one of the best Final Fantasy IV knockoffs I have ever played. <laughs> oh. With possibly the best version of the Guardian Force um, system I have also ever played. Huh. So... What did that come out for? DS. Okay. DS in 09. I'm almost surprised we didn't get that. Yeah, I'm quite surprised. Like, they had already fun. released one of the spin-offs on DS here by that point, because I think that's when we got Twin Age. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Very quite surprised. Strange. I mean, they, um, they did a really good job with the, the dual screens and everything in that game. I mean... Um, even all the back, um, several of your characters could be flying or ground-based, mm-hmm. and different characters had different attack types depending on what you were aiming at mm. and where the target was on screen. And like half the battles later on had random little gimmick items. Yeah. 
that could help or could blow up the screen. <laughs> um, so it was always um, there was a lot of variety in the later battles. Nice. Yeah, I can only assume we didn't like Twin Age must have sold less than they hoped because it came out like it only came out a year before Tears Crown in the U.S. anyway. What a shame. Okay. Any other theory series we can think of, or should we move on? Uh, Digimon? Digimon. That keeps happening. Yes, it does. I, like, as someone who, like, played Digimon World 1 back when it came out on PS1 and declared it basically the worst RPG I'd ever experienced, I have no idea how. <laughs> Like, that is a game where your Digimon can both poop itself to death and be too stupid to actually take orders. So. Thankfully, they fixed some of this. Yeah, I've heard that, like, each of the each of the succeeding ones, at least up through, like, four, just completely changes, flips the script. It's very strange. Like, they didn't come to a consensus on what they wanted these games to be for a very long time. And, like, I think they're still getting weird, because, like, the most recent one appears to be, like, a weird cyberpunk game. Yeah, the... In Cyber the Sleuth? Recent, no, no, we're talking about the most most recent oh, one. Oh, okay. Digimon have been replaced with apps. What and I'm not talking about you. Really. Oh. They're wrong apps. I would have bought that game. But yeah, um, the newest, newest Digimon game appears to have been redesigned for the um, smartphone app age. Had to happen eventually. But yeah. So I, they didn't just make Digimon Go. No, no, they've got. I think they have a little more self-respect than that. <laughs> oh, good on them. They did make a throwback game specifically to the first one on PSP, so they don't have that much self-respect. Listen, I've got a lot of demons about Digimon World One to exercise. Excuse me. <laughs> Digimon, Digimon. I'm not what. On Earth, know. are you thinking? I think you just tried to sing the Digimon theme song to the Pokemon theme song. No, yeah, to I the Mario Odyssey them. song. Oh, That's even oh. less thing. <laughs> I remember the really bad dub theme song that they had for uh, for Digimon because it was just like this weird, like hat, like half-assed robot, roboticized voice going Digimon are the champions over and over. Digimon, Digimon monsters, Digimon are the champions. Yes. Yep. There, we've sung the entire song. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, no. Digimon, Digimon Monsters, Digimon Got the Power. That was oh, man, I forgot about the second half. An entire <laughs> second verse. Second verse, worse than the first. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah, that series seems to be unkillable, so I suspect that that will out outlive me, at the very least. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we've winnowed out a lot of the really interesting mini or minor series from the DS and PS2 eras. Yeah, yeah. The last period where you could have like a small budget and make it back just because there were so many people buying on one system. Yeah, I mean the game I'm currently playing is called Blazer Drive, <laughs> and it was made as a kind of a multimedia tie-in with a manga series. 
Oh, love so, it when that happens. Yeah. So um, it has possibly the most uniquely applicable magic system I've ever seen in an RPG. Mm-hmm. Where um, they, they have these stickers, basically these stickers that are mass-produced as energy pr- focus and transference devices. Hmm. So if you want to cook some eggs, you stick a fire sticker on the bottom of your of your skillet, and you it heats the thing in like a stove. That's pretty nice. I would buy that. Yeah. Unfortunately, the game itself is not like that. That's just the setting. Oh, that's lame. Yeah. So instead, um, in battle, the all the um, characters apply these things to their arms like their tattoos, and then they just go like pyrokinetics on people. Hmm. No, that's more generic. That's a bit of a shame. But eh, it, it's got nice. its interesting points. It's just it's missing a lot of basic interactivity things. Uh, I'm not sure if the main prote- if the main character actually has a family <laughs> because he and his friend are out shopping, and then they have this weird encounter with a um, with some guy who's abusing these stickers, and the main character finds out he can use them in the same way, and then they get recruited by a like a sort of shadowy white knight um, magic defense militia, I guess. And never once do we actually mention where these two characters live, where um, who their family is, and what everyone thinks of them going out in vigilante missions. I do, I do have to say that I appreciate that these stickers are apparently called mystickers. Yes. I like Mystic- that's, that's a good name. Mystic- yeah, that's that's a good portmanteau. I like that one. But, yeah, uh, I think they might have. This is what's weird is it looks like they might have localized the manga that this tied in with, but not the game, which seems to have been made by Sega. <laughs> yes, it was a Sega game. Huh. Yeah. And, I mean, before that, before this one, I was playing Summon Knight, the original, on hmm. DS. Nice. Yeah. Well, nice, except um, Flight Plan's basic idea of pacing is one chapter, one story battle. Oh. And these story battles are not necessarily winnable. Oh. Unless you are really, really good, really, really lucky... And I'm not, again, I'm not sure how because ranged attacks almost hardly exist and do pitiful damage. So when you're hitting somebody for nine damage and they're counterattacking for thirty, I'm not sure how this is workable. Yeah. Um, and they tend to offer maybe two, maybe three, three battles available per chapter. Oh. Yes. I mean, you can do them in- infinitely, but you're just beating the same guys over and over and over again to, <sighs> to get enough money to buy equipment, the top-notch equipment. Yeah. Yep. Plus, um, since it's a flight plan game, one of their usual things is that they pool the experience points, mm-hmm. and you can choose whether or not to level up anybody who participated in the battle and survived. Hmm. Because this being Summon Knight... They also have the Brave system where if you can complete a battle under the specified conditions, mm-hmm. you will get, in, at least in this game, you will get party points, which you can use to um, install um, party abilities. Mm-hmm. 
Except I only have two party abilities. I've got ten times more party points than I need to use for them. <laughs> and the brave challenges tend to be beat this level, beat this battle, this level or below. Oh. Without losing anybody. Uh. Which finally I just said screw this. I have everybody at three levels higher than the par level now. I mean, it's not like they're giving you things to use party points on. Exactly. I mean, I only have two party abilities out of, like, 20 available. And so I'm three levels above where I should be for to be on par for this battle, and I'm still getting whooped. <laughs> and some, some balance concerns here. Oh, and some, uh, and some interaction concerns, too, because you have to... Um, I mean... I have two characters you can summon, mm -hmm. and they can summon anything directly off of their um, accessory if they've already made the connection contract. Mm -hmm. But they can also summon things off of other party members' accessories as long as they spend a bit of summonite ore, which comes in like five different flavors. Mm -hmm. However, it doesn't mention what you will be summoning off of any given item using a particular color of summonite ore. And and even once you have actually successfully done it once, it will still not tell you what you will summon the next time. Hmm. Or I guess none of your you characters had time to take a note. <laughs> I didn't have time to take a note most of the time. Yeah. And it gets really, really annoying really, really fast because sometimes it doesn't actually summon anything. It just drops a rock on your head. Oh, good. Nice. Other, other times it summons a treasure chest with Possibly better equipment. Possibly. Maybe. And Who knows what li li lives in the mystery box. Yes. And or the particular item that you need to try and increase affection with your summoned monsters. Except I, I don't take the manual with me and I can't remember how to do some of the actions needed for this minigame. Oh... Well, good and luck with that. Nothing I've tried seems to work. And and it's an expendable item, or consumable item. So, um, I'm amazed I made it through Chapter 9 on this. Yeah, yeah, sounds it. That's, uh... Yeah, that's, I may not be going back anytime soon. Yeah. I just realized part of the reason we might not have gotten some night... Tears Crown is also that by the time someone would have come around to try licensing it, flight plan flight plan would have been in mid like we're locking the doors, we're gone. Yeah. I mean, so who, who owns flight plan now? Uh, I don't know. They just sort of disappeared. No, I think. I mean, I, I think I'm sure Summon Knight is still owned by Namco Bandai. I, I thought it was Image Epic that just disappeared. I think flight plan uh. might have disappeared as well, but. Didn't they disappear, but kind of, sort of reform under That's a different possible. name? That happens. I might Which be thinking of someone yeah, else. A flight plan. I I think they reform. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, in conclusion, video games are sur some franchises are surreally resilient. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> 
You will find them long when the only things that inhabit the earth are pop culture and roaches. <laughs> and again, uh, Metal Max. Okay. <laughs> it always comes back to Metal Max. Yep. Let's uh, maybe hit another this, yeah. uh, another question. Yep. Okay. Yep. When defunct in August 2010, so yeah. Okay. Alright, let's see here. Unnamed forum member gives totally terrible opinion. We're not going to read. <laughs> Artie Party says, Boo, I liked Partners in Time. It's okay. I'm not going to tell you to not like it, but I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Popeye? Popoy? P-O-P-O-I? Popoy. Popoy. I, I think that's the name of the sprite character from Secret of Mana. Oh, uh, that's correct. Oh, yeah, no, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that because I always changed all the character names. Anyway. Well, in, in the American release, they didn't have default names. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I forget what their default names actually are. It's Popoy uh, and. Rand see, Randy, Prim, and Popoy. Okay. Because I, I never seem to forget anything related to video games, no matter how much I try. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yes. But why so would you say? try? Anyway, he says, I always thought Partners in Time was pretty well received. It's been ages since I played it, so I don't remember all that much. I do remember disliking the final battle some, though. I'd like to play it again and see how it holds up one of these days. Inside Story is definitely my favorite of the Mario Luigi's games, with Thousand Year Door and the original Mario RPG being the overall co-champions. My feelings on which I like more shift so rapidly that there's no way I could rank one above the, uh, the other. Super Paper Mario might have my favorite cast. I love Count Bleck's group so much, but again, it's really hard to say for sure. As for my least favorite, I'm going to pick the boring option and say Sticker Star with the addendum that I don't dislike it. It was massively flawed, but it had some fun moments, and it was cool to have Kamek as the de facto main villain in an RPG and overall had fun with it. It just needed a whole lot of refinement. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. That's an acceptable thought. Yeah, I will say I Partners in Time was well reviewed at the time. Like it's one of those things where I feel like it was something that people got more dissatisfied with with time. Yeah. So kind of a looking back bleh. Yeah. yeah. It was also it, it it doesn't help that like it doesn't hurt that at the time the DS did not have a lot of RPGs to speak of so at least help. in the US. Let's see when when did that come out? That actually came out in the US before it came out in Japan. Uh, not yes. by much. Yeah, mm -hmm. just a yeah. just a month, but there are some slight differences. That was a pretty early DS release because I remember it was one of the weird games that actually supported the Rumble Pack. Oh man, the DS had a Rumble Pack for some reason, so you could have your partners in time and your freaking Metroid Prime Pinball rumble at you. <laughs> rumble doesn't really make a lot of sense in a handheld game. Yeah, like at least for one that's that small. Like the Switch can kind of get away from get away with it because it's just larger overall, but. Yeah, we really want a peripheral that will shake the um, handheld out of your hands. <laughs> yeah. It's great. But yeah, November 05, so a little more, a little less than a year into the DS's lifespan in the US. 
it's a December '04 release uh, for the console itself. But right as the system is starting, it's far away from like Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And so when so when you went in to this, when a lot of people went into the system, that was the RPG they could pick up. So that uh, you know means a lot of people probably played that one. But mm-hmm. isn't that the an, one with the baby versions from Yoshi's Island? Yeah, that one has Baby Mario and Baby Luigi. Yeah. The, the game sometimes treats as full-blown, like, fourth, third and fourth characters, and sometimes treats as, like, extensions of the two main brothers, and it's really, really disorienting sometimes, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's just kind of a eh sort of game that gets more frustrating the more you think about it, at mm. least as far as I'm concerned. But we went over this. <laughs> yeah, we did. I'm, I'm also um, just reading over this... And form credit, I'm also reminded of the original Super Mario RPG and some issues I had with that. Mainly, <laughs> there was this one jump on the way to Cloudland that I could never actually make. Yeah, that isometric perspective is not great for platforming. <laughs> Which is why I never made it past that point in the game. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I also remember that for some reason there was a Final Fantasy IV styled boss, a secret boss with four elemental crystals. Yeah, Kulex just hanging out. Yeah. He's a very, like... It, Kulex is kind of amusing just because he's a very on-the-nose self-parody on Square's part. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is what a generic Final Fantasy looks like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh... Like, Mario RPG is a game I need to revisit and actually finish. I never ha- I never owned it. I could only rent it and didn't finish it when it was rentable, so hey, I've got a SNES Classic now. I can play it, eventually. <laughs> it does remind me, I have a curiosity. How how difficult is it to p- procure a Super Famicom Classic in Japan? Any um, idea? The original console or the new The, the little like novelty mini console that they just released. I have not even bothered to check. Hmm. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if you'd have bothered to look, but I figured if anyone might know, it would be you. Yeah. Well, if the fancy strikes you and you end up looking, post results in the forum thread. <laughs> <laughs> yes, also, more people give Sticker Star a chance. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting game, and if you can't bring yourself to give that one a chance, and you happen to have a Wii U lying around, which makes you a relatively small subset of people, Color Splash is apparently, by all accounts, this a similar style game, but more so, so... Yeah. I think that's also, it has a really good soundtrack, that much I can speak for. And the graphics in it are superb. Did a good job with that style. Are we sleepy? Wheels is always sleeping. (laughs) Generally true. Okay, well, how about I read Budai's last item on the list here? That sounds good. Sure. There There are some games that do certain things before they become popular, but as time goes on, they no longer stand out. 
For instance, the first Lathea game was one of the few games that was well-written and verbose at the time, with maybe only Final Fantasy IV on consoles to match. PC games like Gothic had a lot of sim elements that mimicked daily life. Both those features are run-of-the-mill now, and without having played them in their exact time of release, a gamer may never know they were unique. Which games or features, uh, or which games have features that aren't unique now, but were, but stand out in your memories the most? Hmm. It's an interesting one. Uh, me personally, um, actually, I, I was thinking Lufia too, but you don't really see a lot of puzzle dungeons like that in regular RPGs. Yeah, the closest I can think of to try to uh, continue on from that was uh, the Wild Arms games, especially the early ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Overall, the slate of what you're able to do in most games while inside a dungeon is actually quite limited. Yeah. Uh, actually, I was thinking, okay, some of the Brownie Brown games um, from the Game Boy Advance, they all had the Amigo system, which is effectively Street Pass before Street Pass was cool. Interesting. Except, except it required a cable connection. Yeah, so inherently less uh, practical. Yeah, but at the same time, it did all the sorts of things that you would expect from a minor street pass side item for a modern RPG. I mean, you basically you collected friends, they they would show up in this one specific spot in the game, and you could get bonuses based on how many you had. Hmm. So, like, in Magical, in, uh, Magical Vacation, this was how you would get extra magic types for your main character. Huh. Because originally you just chose one element type for your main character and that was it. But uh. you're just adding more and more on. And if you manage to get up to 100 friends on the cartridge, you could unlock the um, light-based magic which nobody else in the game could actually use. <laughs> except for except for your class's teacher who was never a playable character. You'd have to be an incredibly dedicated player to get that. Either that or just have a pro-action replay code. Yeah, yeah, at that point, Which cheating is, just seems more logical. Yeah, the only person I know of who actually maxed out the friends in in the hot springs there had to, had to resort to that because he was writing a FAQ for or a walkthrough for it. And he yeah. was firm. Like, otherwise, it's just, it's just not practical to connect with 100 strangers. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, even for games from the DS or even 3DS period where very obviously the company really wanted them or really hoped that they would be popular enough that these street pass options would be useful. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. Yes. No one played this game. It doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, what's a good one? Soma Bringer. That's one where um, it was an incredibly loot-heavy, like, Diablo-esque game at times, but your character would only have access to two job classes depending on what choice you made at the beginning. Ah. Uh. Out of eight possible classes. Mm -hmm. And the expectation was that you were going to just trade all this loot over to somebody else. Yeah. Except there was nobody else to trade to. Ugh. And How? that was one of many major issues with that game. Um, of, course, um, of course, Jims and I had very different opinions on how the rest of the game added up, which is why our dueling review scores are a full point difference. 
uh, on either side of three. Um, um, but another one I played was Cross Treasures. Yeah. Which, again, assumed that you would have friends to do stuff with and to um, travel to each other's different alternate worlds because the entire point of this game was a dungeon that was nothing but a series of different sections of different worlds that could be shuffled through. Mm-hmm. So, um, <sighs> any given section could be swapped through three different levels. <laughs> so, there's a lot of variety, a lot of interesting stuff, but at one point, you had to make a decision over which sort of item creation you would specialize in. Mm-hmm. Weapon, armor, or accessory. <laughs> and so, for your specialty, you could get up to level 60 items. Or stop doing that whistle. It's catching through the microphone. My apologies. And for for all the others, you did you could only get a significantly weaker item. So mm. the expectation there is, aside from cooperative battles, you were also supposed to be able to trade between um, different players with different specialties. This is kind of why you balance around what you like, what the player can reasonably be expected to get, even if the game tanks. <laughs> Thing is, the entire game was reasonably balanced. Is I mean, hmm. if you I mean okay, I, I did have to work up the level a little bit to survive the last dungeon area. Well, that's but, true of a lot of games. Yeah, but the final boss was unfortunately quite obviously balanced for the co-ops in mind. Oh. So um, amazingly enough, I. I did give that one a good score, but at the very end in the conclusion, I made a point of saying, if you're going to import this, import two copies and play it with a friend. <laughs> eh, that'd be a fun thing to do with a friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's cheap enough, go for it. Yes. <laughs> it's a very cute little game, and I mean, I, I was struck with feelings of nostalgia and familiarity all the way through it, and then I realized that, hey... The guy who did the artwork on this is the same guy who does the Seven Deadly Sins manga. Oh. Hmm. So, yeah. Plus, it had one of the one of the best takes on the recurrently running away super vil um, villain trope that I've ever seen. Hmm. So the plot here is the the little the little kid sorcerer is trying to. Um, basically build up energy so he can do this cross-worlding. It's not really important why, but um, you find out about his about the reasons behind what he's doing through a series of diary pages that you find on every floor going all the way down. Mm -hmm. And it gets really tragic by the end. The, the villain has a lot more backstory than anybody else in the game, and it's very tragic. But the first time that you meet him, the... Um, in the uh, first boss battle with him, when you beat him up, he hits you with a curse. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't tell you what it does. And it doesn't really seem to do anything. But as it turns out, every time you beat him going down, the, down, down through this dungeon, and every mm -hmm. time you gain power, he matches it. Oh. It, it's a karmic power curse. <laughs> Where he is literally getting, uh, I mean, not in terms of game mechanics, but in terms of story. Yeah. He is getting stronger every time you uh, beat another level. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
per per Budai's original question, the only thing I can say what? Off track, sorry. Yeah. No, no, don't worry about it. Like we... you've got you've always got like games to bring up or like I like things we really have no context for, so it really gives us a lot more interesting content. Also going off topic is kind of uh You should we did a two our hour specialty. We just did a two hour episode. Do you think we spent any of that on topic? But, um, probably so, like a quarter, <laughs> maybe a third if we're being if we're lucky. <laughs> but like to to hit the original question, the only thing I can think of is like, like whenever I think about it, it's like Star Ocean Two is one of those things where I played it and it was like a really mind blowingly weird RPG and like a lot of its ideas exist now. In like uh, across a lot of a lot of different gameplay styles, like generally not the same confluence of ideas, but like it really felt like a very forward-thinking game in 2000. Like certainly as far as Japanese RPGs came, like right now a I'm very huh? Oh, keep going. Sorry, sorry. No, I was just saying like it was a very free-form sort of game, especially in its second half. It had like a lot of player choice on, like, a lot of customization options, a lot of... It, it was a very interesting game that I don't know would really have that kind of impact anymore. Well, I'm thinking a lot of the, the mid-period Squaresoft stuff. Mm. Like, Fantasy VI, that game had, like, um, a new gimmick for almost every party member. Yeah. yeah. And you don't... I mean, it's hard to see that much variety in any given RPG just because it's a beast to to program for, mm. but you find different games that took different aspects from there and made it an entire new game out of it. Yeah. Or, for that matter, Chrono Trigger, which is still lightning in a bottle and has never really been properly replicated. Yeah. CT, you see a lot of attempts to take little bits of it and hope that they can extrapolate the rest out, but like it's just one of those things where it's like you can't really replicate that sense of adventurousness and pacing. Yeah. It was just such a good job overall. Um, yeah. Um, hmm, what a good one. Um, okay, just Final Fantasy 3 and Dragon Quest 3 with the class change systems. Oh, uh, yeah. Those were, those. that was a huge deal at the time, because it's just like, yeah. like any game, it was just you had uh, you picked a character, and that was that character was that character. They were going to go down a curve and reach some logical endpoint to where their power capped. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, Dragon Quest Three, especially because it, I mean, partly because it was a better organized uh, class change system. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember Final Fantasy Six would it would let me change all of my characters into dra dragoons, but then I would realize I don't have any equipment that the dragoons can carry. <laughs> at this yeah. Point. Like, why well, did like, Yeah, oh. and I don't have enough capacity points to change back. Whoops. Yeah, well, 3, well, three also did the thing where, like, not, you were not supposed to get really attached to a class in FF3, because it was going to get replaced. Yeah, they, they had several, like, apparent redundancies because of just better versions. Yeah, like, they kind of go down, like, it would be reasonable to say that your character was going to go down a track of, like, 
this character has been a black mage, I might as well keep them as they go down like the track of other mage classes. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, like both tracks sort of fill, since both tracks are essential, all the tracks are basically like either magic or uh, physical or weird utility player that sh- is used for a gimmick dungeon. They all sort of filter down into this character will be a ninja or this character will be a sage in the end. Yep. Of course, um, I mean, Final Fantasy three didn't allow any ability carryover between classes, yeah. just stats. And Dragon Quest three did the interesting thing where it just halved all your stats and put you back at level one. Mm-hmm. But it also lets you carry over every ability from the previous. Yeah. Um, which they rightfully nerfed in Dragon Quest seven three um, DS remake. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of busted in uh, <laughs> yes in those ones like they, you they really had, have to. They had every reason to do that, um, and very good reasons. Yeah, I and just, it was also I just, just that like you ended up with a lot of redundant abilities because you weren't supposed to have all of them at once. So yes, and so while some people may whinge and moan about this, I didn't. Uh, my main. My main disappointment with the 3DS remake was that they didn't add another, like, third-tier class to combine some of the others. Yeah, there's only, like, three of them, I think? Yeah, um, but you've got some second-tier classes that don't actually lead into anything else. Yeah. Uh, you know, we could probably come up with something really cool, if necessary. To, I mean, if we could somehow figure out how to merge Sailor, Shepherd, and Monster Hunter together. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that's really sad about it is that a lot of the like ones that don't really have an end to their track are really neat, but they don't. Yeah. Like but, and the, the thing, and the thing oh. is that the third tier ones will inherit abilities from their previous or from the earlier version um, from the component classes. Yeah. So, but those three second tier classes that are left in the lurch, they have some interesting abilities, even if the uh, the sheep stampede ability is also nerfed. Um, you just can't pass them on to anyone. Yeah, they just sort of, like, they, they came up with, like, these two that are, like, specific combinations, and then you have the third that's hero that's just sort of, like, you mastered enough, and then, like, here's a here's a super class because yours don't synergize properly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, that, I really wish they had redone the Monster Hearts system. Just oh, I mean, it's not bad as it is. Um, yeah. For some side fun. Um, but, oh, it was so annoying in Monster Hunter Caravan or Mon- um, Dragon Quest Monsters Caravan Heart. But that's a completely different problem. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> that's just completely. Di- oh man, when did the did Joker? When did Joker Three actually come out? Several years ago. Huh, I thought I was thinking of there was like a recent one that I had forgotten yeah, they, about. Joker 3 did, Professional? Yeah, they did the professional version like last year. Oh, that might be what I'm thinking of. Well, we're never getting that. <laughs> yeah, no. I think we're getting Builders, though, on like Switch. I, th- I think Builders did well here. Well, yeah, I mean more just like yeah. well enough that like they've announced the, I think Dragon Quest Builders Switch port got announced for U.S. release. Sweet. I do appreciate that they've now they've now given a, it a proper Dragon Quest uh, a proper Dragon Quest logo because now it's a hammer instead of a sword. 
That's really cute. Okay, yeah, Nintendo has a, an official page for it in the U.S., so yeah, we're getting nice. that version. And hopefully, too, when that hits as well. Yeah, that's, that's all I can think of for, like, games that, like, their impact has been heavily dulled by time. You got any wheels? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I could say some weird... I mean, the big one with, like, that felt really unique to me is still kind of unique, and that's Panzer Dragoon Saga. And there still hasn't really been any games like that. It's really kind of its own thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, how about this one? Um, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really impressive handheld game at the time, because it really does feel like... I mean, you, you heard these stories behind its creation, right? I think some of them, but you might want to refresh my memory. Basically, Nintendo handed out a bunch of Game Boy development kits to some of its programmers just to play around with, and yeah. one guy who had, been work who had just finished working on Link to the Past decided to see if he could recreate Link to the Past in Game Boy form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a nutso idea, by the way. Yes, but it explains why the layout of the island is so similar. Um, and, yeah. But it, he was just doing this in his free time, and he got some of his friends and um, um, staff into it, and they just started working together again in the free time, and off of very random, um, various different projects, and just putting stuff in, and thinking, oh, this would be cool, and this would be cool. Mm. And by the time the head of their department found out about this, they had cobbled together this mishmash little Zelda game based off the engine um, of of a game engine that that had been developed for a game called uh, A Tale of Frog and Snake or something like that. Yeah, I think the fan translation localized that as like for the frog the bell tolls. That's a very nice um, localization. I'll stick with that one then. Um, But yeah, they used that as the base and then they had made this entire little game um, framework of a game around it. And their boss thought it was so cool that they actually took it to the head of Nintendo and convinced him to make it official. <laughs> but that's, this is how it ends up with, like, with um, Mario lookalike in the town. This is why there's a Yoshi doll in the Crane game. This is why there are Kirby-esque villain, um, enemies in the eighth, um, yeah, in the eighth dungeon. Yeah, because it's just like whatever, put it in there. <laughs> It explains a lot Uh, about both the games, what's in it, and also why it's such a weirdly put-together game. Yeah, it does. It it is by far the most accurately titled labor of love in the entire series. And it's also, I mean, when you look at at the three Zelda games before it, and every single Zelda game that came after it, you realize that it's a very seminal title as well. It's also one of those games that, like, it's to me when I look at it, it's one of those things where it's like it's it doesn't feel like it's heavily compromised for handheld in a way that a lot of games would be at the time. Yeah, like it really feels like oh, it's a sequel to Link to the Past, and it's a legitimate sequel to Link to the Past. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you look at, I mean, you got. Marin and Taran, and then the Owl, and you've got all sorts of other random things in that game that show up in later games. Yeah, 
Oftentimes, yeah. like, getting just slight renames because they're not the dream versions anymore. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, at least Maron got to become a seagull. Yep. Yeah. yeah. If you manage to beat the game without dying once. Or stealing anything. Uh, the ending to <laughs> that damn game. Was stealing believe... stuff actually take it out too? Uh, I'm not sure. Like, it might just be a consequence of the fact that if you steal something and then go back in, you'll get killed anyway, but... Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say was it it's always amuses me that like who like who wrote that game's weird story oh it's Kensuke Tanabe it's the guy who produces all the Metroid Prime games huh he is credited as scenario writer for that one interesting uh, yeah good pedigree there <laughs> oh yeah sure. yeah so yeah, I mean, you you play that game, and you have basically a blueprint for half of the Zelda games to come. <laughs> Especially like the uh, the idea of like items interacting with each other is really codified in that game. Yeah, like you first, see a bit of it in Link Link to the Past, but there's only one item button. So first, I like the fact that you could um, you didn't have the sword as a default item on one of your buttons. You could just switch out anything for A and B. So yeah. You could actually you could actually put bombs in one button, arrows on the other one, and shoot explosive arrows. <laughs> yeah, something that would show up occasionally, although usually not in as viscerally satisfying a fashion, because it was usually an item you had to get a bomb arrow rather than something yeah. that you got as a natural consequence of having both bombs and arrows. Uh, it was almost an Easter egg, too, because it never actually mentioned that you could fire exploding arrows, but man, it took out one of the sub-bosses so quickly. Yeah, I don't think it's ever required. It just makes your life a lot easier in a lot of places. Yep. But yeah, and like things like the, it it codified both like some stuff that was that became like a handheld staple. All the a lot of later handheld games have things like the rock's feather, but also. Yeah, hmm? yeah I mean, it was the first Zelda game to actually have jumping. Yeah, any any kind of jumping at all, really, because like later, like the 3D ones realize they have to have jumping, so they do the auto jump, and then. Uh, but yeah, the handheld ones get the rocks feather, and then like a lot of those a lot of those items sort of really solidify their uses in Link's Awakening. It's a, it's a very Im important game that uh, it's it's fairly easy to not under like it's it's still like beloved, obviously, but it's e hard to it can be hard to really contextualize what it did for the franchise unless you're really looking for it. All I can say is that for a Game Boy, not Game Boy Color, original Game Boy cartridge in a used game store over here to command $15 on the second-hand market, yeah, that's... Like a, a loose Game Boy game that's kind of impressive. Yeah. The Japanese uh, box art for Link's Awakening is actually pretty nice, as I recall. That's generally true for any game when you say the Japanese box art. True enough, true enough. But, yeah, like, Zelda games at that for a very long time in the U.S. were just, like, they were all variants on the same, like, uh, sure. stuff. So it's, it's interesting to look at some of the Japanese box art and see how nice they were. Mm -hmm. Oh, and it got a different, also fairly nice piece of box art for the deluxe release. Good stuff. 
But yeah, yeah I think uh, I think I'm fairly tapped for like weirdly uh, hard to uh, understand the significance of games. Hmm. Okay. Anything? Uh, well, something I thought was unique at the time that absolutely wasn't at all probably even then would be Final Fantasy Tactics. Actually, I was just thinking of that one. Yeah. I actually, was thinking of Tactics Ogre. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, um, every PlayStation tactical RPG, and for DS as well, for the next twenty years almost. Pretty much. Yep. Use that same style. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had Super Robot War style, and then you had Tactics Ogre style. Yeah. yeah. And then you get the the other one that no one knocked off, which is the Ogre Battle style. Um, I have played a few games with Ogre Battle style combat. Hmm. Um, one of them was the mountain climbing RPG. Oh, that one you talked about. That sounded <laughs> nuts. Yes. Um, another one was this weird kind of hero management game. Where oh. you were, you were an angel sent down from heaven to recruit different heroes um, in the world, and mm-hmm. then tell them where to go. And so you would witness the story through them as they would travel from point to point on this incredibly huge world map. Hmm. And um, battles, I mean, combat was very similar to ogre battle. It just did not have anything similar to the same structure. It also didn't have the horrifying chaos frame to try to keep track of. Also, I appreciate the concept of a game calling its morality system the chaos frame. (laughs) Honestly, I never had any problems getting uh, at least one or two select groups all the way up to maximum order on that. Hmm. Yeah. I think it got more confusing when they made more sequels. Like, I think it's really... It gets really uh, complex in 64, but I couldn't say for certain... Yeah, I mean, I played 64, um, um, oh dang, this was, um, 16 years ago. Um, Been a little while. Back when I still had access to my roommate's Nintendo 64, which is how I played Paper Mario. Um, mm-hmm. But I had to rent it from the local blockbuster. I never finished um, Zelda, uh, not Zelda, uh, never finished Ogre Battle 64. Mm-hmm. I just remember the little dudes with the hamburger-shaped hats that always came in three, and um, as they lost hit points, they would actually lose members of the little trio. <laughs> I admit now that I'm... And eventually, okay. if they survived long enough, you could promote one of them up to a real class. Yeah. I admit now that I look it up, I'm a little disappointed that uh, Japanese Nintendo 64s look exactly like American ones. <laughs> yeah. I thought that that was the case, but I was kind of hoping it wasn't. <laughs> Think of what we could have had if they'd gone through with calling it the Ultra Famicom. <laughs> Shall we close out? Yeah, I think so. I think we've pretty think much... think Wales is dying. <laughs> I'm yeah. fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm not drunk, you're drunk. Order. I was going to say, wrong podcast host. He's not drunk, he's just exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, There's that, that doesn't work when we're uh, on this particular cast. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, we'll wrap this up. Um, you can send us the questions in the, us- questions in the usual manner on the forums. 
can send complaints, tell us how the games we hate are totally awesome and we're the wrongest people that have ever made presented any opinion on the internet ever. I will try to be very polite. Wheels might not. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, no. I will title an episode in your honor. And by honor we mean spite. Yes. Precisely. But hey, it's an easy 15 seconds of fame. <laughs> but, yeah, you can you can catch us at the usual places. Gaijin, you want anything you want to plug? Um, just my ongoing tabletop RPG-based story series. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, I've mentioned this before, right? Yeah, you have. Yeah, so Princesses in the Pizza Parlor, it's on episode four now. The Haunted House episode. Excellent. So, yep. Just in time for Halloween. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, I guess that's us for this time. That's all, wheels folks. At wheels, maze, we're both on Twitter at FanboyMaster. I, I'm, my account is locked, but I'll probably let you follow if you feel like it. Uh, and Gaijin is smart enough not to use Twitter, so... Yep. <laughs> smart. Yes. So, from all of us to all of you, don't like partners in time. <laughs> it's bad. We'll see you next time. <laughs> see ya. Yeah.